There isn't one of us in this room who doesn't have something to be thankful for, even if it's just the air that we breathe. These words were the refrain of an elderly woman from my childhood church. You see, by the time I'd become a teenager, this woman had developed severe dementia. And thus, over the course of an hour-long prayer meeting, she would not remember what she or what anyone else had already said. And thus, she would say at least three times per prayer meeting, there isn't one of us in this room today who doesn't have something to be thankful for, even if it's just the air that we breathe. Over and over again, she'd say it. And I felt sorry for this woman back then. Truth be told, I was embarrassed for her. The way her reiteration of these exact same words made clear to everyone else her inability to follow what was going on. I pitied her. But all these years later, her words stay with me. And not only because I, with each passing year, come to further understand and recognize how true her words were, that we really do always have something to be grateful for, but because I now understand how significant it was that in her severe dementia, that this was her refrain, that this is what she repeated as if on autopilot. Now I want you to follow me here because what I'm about to say is going to be central not only to this sermon, but to each sermon in this entire Lenten series on prayer. So follow this one closely. Prayer is a formative act. Prayer is a formative act. By which I mean to live a prayer-shaped life not only leads to the regular expression of our deepest thoughts and emotions to God, but in the repeated practice of that expression, we are slowly being shaped and formed and made into something new. And so here's why I open this sermon series by telling you about this elderly woman from my childhood church. It's to make the point that in her severe dementia, the only way that she could keep repeating that same thing, the only way that she could keep speaking any words as if in refrain, were if the words were in fact core to her identity. Do you follow that? The point being, she, unlike any of the rest of us not wrestling with dementia, she could not choose to keep saying this as a refrain in order to perhaps impress someone with her spirituality or prompt someone toward greater gratitude. She couldn't choose to do this. 
She didn't have conscious control over the repetition of her words. Because 10 seconds later, she'd forgotten she'd even said them. And thus, by the fact of their repetition, these words bespoke not only what she was thinking, but moreover expressed her deepest orientation to the world. Which is to say that after untold years of praying, of living a prayer-shaped life, of regularly offering prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving to God, after years of that, now, in her twilight years, no longer in control of her mental faculties, she had been formed in such a way by all of that prayer that these were the words that bubbled up time and again from the very core of her being. There isn't one of us in this room today who doesn't have something to be thankful for, even if it's just the air that we breathe. So enough about that for now. The Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith released a trilogy of books in the last decade about the power of practice, about the way that our actions habituate us, about how we are always being formed by the things we do and by the items to which we give our attention. We are not just Thinking things, Smith explains, meaning by that that we can't just think our way into proper discipleship. That instead we have to embody discipleship. But crucially, Smith says, we are always embodying discipleship, whether we know it or not. We're always embodying discipleship. The only question is, what are we being discipled in? That is, what are we being formed by? What are we being shaped into? In this trilogy of books, Smith helpfully refers to our daily mundane actions as embodied liturgies, meaning constant expressions of that which really matters most to us as human beings. Embodied liturgies. And because I know that sounds a little abstract, let me give you an example of what Smith means by an embodied liturgy over against a mere professed belief. You see me standing here, this fancy robe on, my pious words about God and faith. and Thus, ideally, you see an avatar for spiritual living. Ideally, you see someone for whom prayer is a central element of life. And if so, you're right. I deeply do believe in the importance of prayer. I stand before you in this fancy robe and I profess that belief unequivocally. But then see now this, 
See this little thing? Recognize it? It's called an iPhone. Maybe you've heard of it. And you see, on this iPhone, I have a weekly alert that tells me how much time per day I am spending on it. And you want to know what? I know that I don't tell you this proudly. The amount of time I spend on this iPhone, not on phone calls, mind you, just looking at things and reading things and consuming things, the amount of time I spend on this iPhone trumps the amount of time I spend each day praying by such a vast margin that I'm embarrassed to even say. Now, if you ask me which is more important to me, prayer or time spent on my iPhone, I would tell you prayer in a second, and I would mean it. The reality is I'd be lying. Not on purpose, not knowingly, but nonetheless, I'd be lying. And not because I think prayer to be less important than my iPhone. Obviously, I don't. But because my actions bear out which one is really more important to me. For as Smith says, we are not thinking things constituted by our professed beliefs. Instead, we are embodied beings. Humans constantly being formed by and discipled by and ultimately defined by the items to which we are giving our attention. So let me tell you how this all cashes out. One Saturday last fall, our whole family was gathered in the living room, nothing going on and everyone bored. And it was a pretty day outside, so there were plenty of options for the kids to go and do, but they were instead lingering around in the living room with us. I myself was sitting in my chair reading a book, when Ada approached me and said something to me that she's said countless times before, but this time, the significance of her words registered with me in a new and a profound way, and they nearly took my breath away. Daddy, she said, can I look at your phone? Now, I'm a bad actor, so I'm not capturing this very well. But the emotion underneath her question was an admixture of boredom and exasperation. The implication being, well, maybe at least in the phone I can find something that will quell this feeling. So I said, what do you want it for? To which my seven-year-old shrugged and said, I don't know. Maybe to look at some toys on the Target site. As I looked at her little face, it suddenly hit me like a fist. I tell these children that gratitude for what we have is most important. 
I tell them that the most important things we can do are to be grateful for what we have and to be willing to serve and to give to others. I tell them this regularly. What they see from me is this. Scrolling. And moreover, they've quietly watched me And somehow, despite all of my pious words about God and service, they've intuited that what really satisfies my boredom, that what really proves meaningful to me, is getting a new toy. For all my grand words, they have intuited that receiving a new book from Amazon, say, is what really makes Daddy happy. That is how the difference between professed belief and embodied liturgy cashes out. Our children hear us say that one thing is important, but observe from our lives that they ought to value something altogether different. My daughters never out of the blue say, Daddy, will you pray with me? Or, Daddy, how can we go serve someone in the community today? Instead, they ask, Daddy, can I use your phone? I think I'd like to look at some toys at Target. And I'm a pastor. Today's the first Sunday in Lent. And Lent is a season set apart each year for reflecting as the Christian church, on our utter dependence upon God and upon the sinful arrogance that so often leads us to forget about that dependence. And this year, we as a pastoral staff have decided that a central way to remedy this, that is, a central way to remember our dependence upon God, is to refocus ourselves on prayer. And by this, our aim is not simply to bolster our belief in prayer as a good thing to do, but is instead to encourage us to further commit ourselves to actually doing it. And not just on account of the things we will say to God as we increase our frequency of prayer, though this is very important, but on account of what increasing our frequency of prayer will do to us as disciples, how it will form us, how it will mold us, how it will shape us, how each added moment of prayer redirects a moment that would otherwise have been directed elsewhere. The cable news say, or social media, to Amazon, or Target.com, to words of complaint or exasperation, to any number of things that disciple us daily in ways that we don't even realize we're being discipled. Do you follow? So this Lent, we at Boulevard, beginning with we, your pastoral leaders, will commit ourselves 
to a sharpened focus on prayer. Not just on what it is or why it's good, but on actually doing it. And we will begin by focusing on a specific kind of prayer. Prayers of gratitude. Which leads me back to that elderly woman from my childhood church. Perhaps what is most striking about her repeated prayer of gratitude all those years ago is how on paper she had so little to be thankful for. She was sick, had dementia, was now living in a retirement home, a place utterly foreign to the home she and her husband had lived in for half a century. She was now cut off from all of her normal and familiar rhythms and routines. So not only did she have cause to be grumpy, but in my experience as a pastor, which is an awful lot, individuals in this same circumstance nearly always are grumpy. And can you blame them? We would be too. Unless... unless we had, over the course of our lives, cultivated a disposition of gratitude. Unless we had day in and day out thanked God for the simple gifts of life, even when we didn't feel particularly grateful. Unless, that is, we had lived a prayer-shaped life. Unless, that is, we had been discipled in gratitude. And this woman had been. Despite everything happening around her, despite her confusion and her disorientation, she just kept right on saying, saying because she believed it at the very core of her being, there isn't one of us in this room today who doesn't have something to be thankful for, even if it's just the air we breathe. Well, she was right. All these years later, I now realize just how right she was. And oh, how much better off we'd all be if we'd take heed to her counsel. Okay, so let me tell you something that reaffirms for me the point I'm trying to make and that in so doing, hopefully, at least partially redeems me in your eyes as a decent parent and pastor. Now, unfortunately, I can't take credit for this. It was actually all April's doing. But it does go to show how deeply we are formed by practices and not by professions of belief. Okay, so here's the story. A few months ago, April and I were putting the girls to bed, and April suddenly said, why don't we all pray together tonight? Now, this wasn't an entirely new thing. One of us has always said a quick prayer with the girls before bedtime. But here, in this moment, April was suggesting that we all pray, that we just have a little prayer meeting of our own right there in the girls' bedroom. So we did. And the girls' prayers were short 
and somewhat forced and uncomfortable. And I, your pastor, was all the while eager for the moment to end so that I could get back to my important reading. For you see, I'd had a really long and tough day and I needed some quiet time to decompress. You know, the martyr over here. And so we all prayed and that was that and it was all well and good. But then we did it again the next night. And then the next... And then the next. Until suddenly it had become an indispensable part of our daily routine. Something that the girls not only asked for, but in fact looked forward to. And with each passing night, I noticed that the girls' prayers were suddenly becoming less a list of their wants and more expressions of concern for people other than themselves. You see, they'd heard April's and my prayers each night for the hungry and the homeless, for the poor and the marginalized, for the lonely and the grieving. And they'd therefore slowly come to value those things as important themselves. To the point that Ada, not long ago, asked me out of the blue, Daddy, I think there's something that we could do to help the people in Anderson who don't have anything to eat. Now don't get me wrong, she still fantasizes about toys from Target. But you see her vision of what matters most is slowly being reformed. And all because the power of prayer and because of the daily liturgy of embodying. And so in saying that, I close with this story. The other night, as we were all praying together, it came to Juliana's turn. And here's what she said. And this is a direct quote because I put it in my phone so that I'd always remember it. She said, Dear God, thank you for making more than one person so that people don't have to be alone. Dear God, thank you for making more than one person so that people don't have to be alone. Dear family, even amid a pandemic, even amid a time of upheaval and disorientation, even amid all the difficulties and hardships that mark this life, even now, there isn't a one of us in here who doesn't have something to be thankful for. Even if it's just the air we breathe or the fact that God made more than one person so that we don't have to be alone. Deep down, we all know this. Deep down, we all believe this to be true. So let us this Lent begin embodying that belief. And let us do so by offering such gratitude to God in prayer. Yes, this Lenten season, let us commit ourselves to living prayer-shaped lives. That in so doing, 
we might be formed into ever more grateful disciples. Amen.